Our Father, we just come to you and thank you so much that we can talk to you and that you open up this avenue of prayer for us to fellowship with you and to bring our requests. Uh, we thank you that your son is always praying for us and has prayed for us. And we thank you that even the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And when we come with words not even knowing exactly what to ask for, that you're the one that guides us into how to pray and what to ask for. We just thank you, Lord, for the, the beauty and wonder of prayer. We ask that as we look at it this morning, that you would open up our eyes to help us uh, see what you have for us and the great blessing that is available every single moment to us as believers. And uh, we just thank you for this time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's uh, just do a little bit of review. I really appreciated um, Dan's introduction last week to the material of Paul's journey to Rome. And even what he said about our theme verse uh, for this quarter, First uh, Corinthians one eighteen, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. If you guys were here last week, <clears throat> Dan talked about how that in the Roman Empire, they really imbibe the idea that the head of the organization is such a big deal and if you cut off the head the whole snake dies and so for them uh, Caesar is the head and when Christ comes along and just turns this whole thing upside down that was a threat to the Roman Empire um, and as Jesus so often does he just flips the world's philosophy up on its head and it's through the preaching of the gospel and it's through us actually coming lower and serving one another um, that, we, um, that we're able to benefit. And as you see, the, the church ends up winning, right? Who would have thought that this group of, of Jews who go out and just preach this weird message called the gospel, that after 300 years, that that would basically overtake the Roman Empire? It's just, just amazing. We do see the power of the gospel um, and then uh, last week, also Dan spent some time going over just the journey of Paul uh, to Rome. And I love the way he arced the message of human responsibility and God's sovereignty that Paul had wanted to go to Rome. Um, but he didn't know that he was going to get there by being a, you know, a, a, a prisoner and, and even the shipping journey, I love just the narrative there as we move through Acts 27 and whatnot, and, and they're crashing on Malta and, and everything, how the Lord gets them to Rome. And so, and yet you see um, Paul really submitting to the Lord's sovereignty. So we see God uh, accomplishing his purposes, uh, Paul submitting to the Lord's purposes, and that becoming a good example for us that we can have our idea, um, but the Lord, he's got his plan. I was at the Shepherds Conference recently, and they were interviewing a number of different Christian leaders. One of them was Al Mohler, and, and they were asking these guys, what does your typical day look like and your prayer life and your time in the Word and in your discipline? And one of the things that Al Mohler said that really stuck out to me, he's like, there is no day that goes the way I planned. <clears throat> I always have my plan. And then the day happens, and I'm just praying throughout the day as the Lord is, is guiding it. And you think, you know, a guy like Al Mohler, with everything he's accomplishing, that he's making his list of ten things to do, and they're all getting accomplished. He's like, no, I pray at the beginning of the day, and then it's just once the war's on, it's chaos. <laughs> and, so, and so it's, you know, we, we're, we're making our plans. You know, the uh, human beings, we, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, right? But deliverance is from the Lord, <clears throat> and so we're ultimately depending upon him. Yes, Bri? Proverbs 3, 6. Trust in the Lord. How, how does the rest of that go? With all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Excellent. That's great. Okay, so let's go ahead and... Um, <clears throat> We're going to talk about prayer. I'm going to refer mostly to this handout now. And there are some fill-ins. I think you guys should have blanks. Some people don't like blanks, but I like blanks. Do you guys have blanks? Okay. All right, so stop me if I 
move past your blanks. <coughs> We're calling this removing roadblock blocks to prayer. And I start with a quote from Hamlet where King Claudius, this is after it's been kind of discovered uh, through this play that, yes, he was complicit in the death of his brother and he's taken the throne through murder but he goes in and he's trying to pray and he says this my words fly up my thoughts remain below words without thoughts never to heaven go and I don't know if you ever felt that way that you're trying to pray you're trying to lift up your thoughts to the Lord it just seems like it's hitting the ceiling you're getting nothing um, King Claudius <clears throat> we find out as the play develops this guy is not really interested in serving the Lord and so there's reasons why his prayers cannot ascend into heaven uh, but there is this there is kind of this basic attitude when you look at Hollywood or even if you just go on your app I don't know if any of you guys try to send images to people when you text them like hey praying for you and whenever I pump in praying most of the images that pop up are mock uh what do they call it are they called gifs or is that what you call them those little images they're mostly i can't find a serious one maybe one or two where there's like a little bear praying or something like that but mostly it's somebody like mocking prayer crossing themselves making prayer look silly and stupid and even in the movies um normally if you see somebody praying in a film they're either talking about how ridiculous it is to pray. One of my favorite films in the past is uh, Sixth Sense. And the mom at some point says, we're done with prayers in this family. God's not answering anyway. And then what's that Mel Gibson movie about the aliens? Signs. I actually like that film. I like the way it ends. But in the middle of it, he's like, no more prayer. You know, God hasn't been doing anything for us. He didn't save my... And then there's some old Tommy Lee Jones film, um, which I don't recommend because it's old enough to where I don't remember what's in it. You guys ever do that? You sit down with your kids. You're like, come on, kids, let's watch this film. We watched it growing up. It's great. And then you throw it on. You're like, what? <laughs> it's like, I don't remember that part. Anyway, there's this old Tommy Lee Jones thing where he's, uh, they're out trying to save his kidnapped. Somebody's been kidnapped. He's like this old tracker and the and Native Americans have kidnapped his niece or something. And then they're praying. I don't know if you guys remember that. And he's praying his Native American prayer, which sounds so awesome. And it's like you can tell it's really working. And then next to him is a girl that's just reading the begats from the Bible. And it's clear that they're trying to set these two things uh, side by side. The Native American mystical prayer with all of the smoke is really working but the 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 western kind of reading of the begats is so silly and foolish when in reality it's the opposite um, prayers to demons yeah they, the demons might do something but they're not going to do anything for your good um, but prayers to almighty god through jesus christ are powerful and so let's let's ask a couple questions here. We're going to ask, first of all, what is prayer? And you can fill this in. The communication of creatures to their creator. We pray to God. God never prays to us. So in part of the answer to what prayer is, is prayer is us communicating to God. We will talk in a moment about inter-Trinitarian communication. But when we think of prayer in regards to ourselves, it's us communicating to God. It's not God speaking to us. Um, there are ways God speaks to us, but it's not through prayer. And so we want to keep that clear. Um, we are creatures. He's the creator. Prayer is our communication to God and should be dis distinguished from how God communicates to us and forming our prayers and responding to our prayers through his acts of providence and prophecy. We pray and then God acts through providence. That is just as our lives develop, there are things that will happen that become answers to prayer, right? You're praying for the Lord to provide a car and then a car is provided. And now in God's providence, you see the answer to that prayer. 
The other way that God responds to our prayers is through prophecy. And in this age, in this time in redemptive history, this is the primary prophecy we're receiving, is God speaks to us through his word, and he illumines his word. So this is not a dead book. We're reading the Bible, right, as part of the church at this point in history. We know that these stories have a context, and yet the Holy Spirit will illumine scripture to our hearts and and really impart to us direction, right? Um, I'm sure you guys have experienced that you're praying and all of a sudden you open up your Bible or you're reading that morning and you come across a passage and it's like zoom. It's almost like the Holy Spirit's like highlighting it for you. This is what you need to be thinking about. That's one of the ways that the Lord is is answering our prayers. Wayne Grudem says prayer is personal communication with God. It includes prayers of requests for ourselves or for others, sometimes called prayers of petition and intercession, confession of sin, adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time talking about this, but in the studies that you guys did this week, you had the ACTS model, right? Does anybody remember what ACTS stands for as kind of a, a way to, to think about aspects of prayer? What does A stand for? Adoration, C, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication. And I think that's a great model for us to remember different aspects of prayer, and it's biblical. You can find different verses that fit within one of those four. We do want to be careful, though, that we don't take Acts and make that kind of like this, almost kind of like a, a rosary, like this is the way we're always going to approach the Lord, and we're going to pray Acts like we pray the rosary. Um, when I come, you know, because we're talking about a relationship, you know, God is not, you know, exactly like me having a relationship with my wife, but he is a person. And so there's some similarities and differences. He's personal. So God is a friend in a sense, but he's also my Lord and God. Jesus says, you are my friends, right? If you do whatever I command you. <laughs> so he's a friend. But how many of your friends on the planet Earth say, I'm your friend if you do whatever I command you? Right? Run from that person, unless it's Jesus. If Jesus says that, that's, that's true, because he is both a friend and our God. And so when we come to pray, we're relating to God, we're relating to Christ as a friend, but also as our master. And so, so the point that I was making is, is we want to be careful when we use something like Acts, that that doesn't become something artificial that actually gets in the way of the relationship. Um, you know, when I come home from work, um, I don't come home to Katie and say, Katie, I just adore you today. You're so beautiful. But I want to confess to you that I'm an idiot. I did a lot of just dumb things today. But I'm so thankful for all the things you do for me. Supplication, can you make me some dinner? And then I go sit down. Right? I don't, that's not the way we relate to one another, right? We sit down, and it's kind of very fluid, and, um, and even when we look at the prayers of the Bible and so on, we see a lot of fluidity, and we'll talk about that. Here's an, another quote from uh, Pallison in a book called Praying Life. He says this, The best our world has to offer is to teach you how to talk to yourself. Change what you tell yourself, and your feelings about what happened will change. That's what the world says. Psychology says you... Always talk to yourself, so therefore say different things to yourself, and then things will change. So if you're always saying, I'm a bad person, I'm a terrible person, I feel bad about myself, what you need to do is say, I'm a good person, I feel good about myself, I'm wonderful, right? Like that old Saturday Night Live, what's that? Yeah, like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. Is anybody old enough to know what that means? Okay, a few people, okay, thank you. Um, it's an old Saturday Night Live sketch. What was that guy's name? Stuart Smalley? Stuart. Oh, yeah. It's really funny. Anyway, you can check it out if you want. But so that's not what we're going to do. The middle of that paragraph, Jesus teaches us, teaches you how to stop talking to yourself. He shows how to stop making prayer into a production. Jesus teaches you to start talking to your father, to my father and your Father, this is a key to prayer that has really been 
uh, transforming my life, I would say, over the last 12 months. Not that I've n never prayed before, but I feel like in the last 12 months, one of the lessons that I have been learning and applying is that I talk to myself all day long. I don't know how many of you guys do this, but I'm a little bit of a manic personality. I wake As soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm already worrying about the things I have to do that day. And if I just let my mind do whatever it wants to do, I'm like already kind of starting to get a little bit stressed out about all that's on the plate. And then in, I get up and I'm getting ready. And if I don't control my thoughts, I'm just like, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to meet with that person. I don't know how I'm going to get this done. And then my mind will just go all over the place. But <clears throat> part of what we realize in prayer is the Lord, he wants to enter into those needs. And instead of me just talking to myself all day long and just letting my thoughts do whatever they want, I, all I need to do is just turn those worries, turn those thoughts to the Lord and make them prayers rather than just self-talk that I'm just letting go. Does that make sense? So instead of me waking up in the morning being like, oh man, I got a lot to do today. Lord, I have so much to do today, but I am no one's savior. You're the savior. You're in control of all things. I need you more than anything else. The biggest thing I need today is you. Help me to really drink deeply of you. And, and as worries are coming to my mind and I'm meandering off in another direction, starting to worry again, Lord, I, I just want to just pray that you would help me with this meeting I have today or I've got this, this study to do. I'm so tired. I don't know if I can get it done. Um, I'm going to be meeting with my boss today. You know, Pastor Milton, how intimidating he is when I meet with him and please help me. I'm joking. But, you know, um, so it can become, instead of just allowing your thoughts just to run wild, we take every thought captive, we submit it to Christ. Second Corinthians 10, right? And, and then it just becomes our prayers throughout the day. Um, so that's basically what prayer is. Um, letter B, there's also another aspect, and that is communication within the Trinity of the Son and the Spirit to the Father. Um, during the days, this is from Hebrews 5, during the days of Jesus' life our, er, on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So this is speaking of Jesus in his, in his walk on the earth, that he would cry to the Lord and bring his tears to the Lord. This is Jesus Christ, who is God, but who is also a man. And the fill-in there was Trinity, communication within the Trinity. Um, and so Jesus sets an example for us of how he communicated with his Father. But beyond that, he also communicates with the Father and the, and the Spirit right now. Now, that's mysterious to us because we're talking about infinite being and the communion of infinite being in the Godhead. But there is communication that is happening. So let's talk about, oops, I uh, forgot that I don't have that up there. On the next page, for you, I think it's page two. Why pray? Is it page two for you guys or just for me? Okay, so look at page two. Why pray? So we've just finished the first part of this. Does everybody have this? Okay, it's, I'm sorry. It's on the back. I ended up changing the packet. I didn't print it till this morning. Did anybody else not get the packet? Okay, so yeah, so grab this packet. Um, so the first question we're answering was, what is prayers? The second question is, why pray? Why pray? And so I want to give what amounts to basically five reasons as to why we pray. First of all, it is not so God can find out what you need. And let's look at Matthew 6, 8. It's not because God doesn't know what you need. And so we pray to inform him. God is not lacking information, right? And you guys know this passage, 6, 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. So don't be like the heathen. The heathen get together, and when they gather together to pray to their gods, 
They just say the same thing over and over again, and they keep saying it over and over again so that God will hear them. He says, don't be like the heathen. We could, we could throw Roman Catholic. Now, I've got Roman Catholic family and friends. I'm not bagging on people, but the system where they get together, they just kind of sit there and say the same prayers over and over and over and over again as if somehow that's going to earn. Suddenly, God's going to start listening when they get to the hundredth Hail Mary. Um, yeah, so we don't want to do that. <clears throat> um, that's not why we pray. Letter B, we, mo- we are moved to pray because Christ has prayed and is praying. So I want to suggest that this is one of the highest reasons why we pray is because Christ has already prayed and he is right now praying. So let me suggest this. This is really my thesis. There are other aspects that are going to kind of bleed out of this thesis, but this second paragraph on page two is my thesis. Before we focus on our own prayer life or look at Christ's prayer life as an example to follow, we should look at Christ's prayer life with awe, wonder, and thankfulness, knowing that it is through his works, that we, his works that we are saved. His active obedience, which includes his prayers, have been imputed to our account. Jesus is our MVP, most valuable prayer. So you should say prayer. It's not prayer, most valuable prayer. It's most valuable prayer. He is the MVP. So we pray not somehow because uh, we have to earn some status before the Lord, or if we pray enough, then that makes us more satisfactory to our Father. We first start with the idea that Christ prayed on the earth as on our behalf as part of our active obedience that's imputed to us, and that his prayers were perfect. His prayers are ultimate, and because we're placed inside of Christ when we become born again, all of his prayers are credited to our account. Does that make sense? And so we're not trying to earn something. We come inside and realize the ultimate prayer is already wrapped around us. He's the one who knows the heart of the Father perfectly. He knows the will of the Father perfectly, and he prays for us and on our behalf, and his prayers are credited to our account. And so an analogy would be this. It's like when I'm watching baseball or whatever sport, I like baseball, and I see Mike Trout go make a great catch. I don't say to myself, man, I need to be like Mike Trout. If I can't be like Mike Trout, I'm nothing. Right? And I don't go out and get my glove and go start practicing catches in center field over at Sunnymead Park and Paris Boulevard. I mean, I, I'm 5'7", right? 5'7 and three quarters, actually. And, but I can't really jump like Mike Trout. I'm not buff like Mike Trout. I'll never be able to hit a baseball like Mike Trout. Um, even when I was coaching, when I would hit, my, all of my players, they could all hit farther than me, better than me. When I would actually get in the batter's box, they would laugh at me uh, because I was older now, and I just can't. My shoulders are, feel like they're going to fall off some mornings, right? So I can't do what they can do. But I can watch Mike Trout and say, wow, that is amazing. Look at the ability that God gives to people that they can do something like that. That's amazing. And I can, I can be in awe of that. And that's a, a kind of a, a, a little bit of a lame analogy, but it, it, it goes true when we look at Christ. Uh, when, we, when, we, when we look at Christ, our first reaction should be awe of what he has done before we're moved to, to appro- the appropriate desire to exemplify him through the power of the Holy Spirit. So first we look at his prayers. We're like, wow, that is amazing. Thank you that all of your prayers are credited to my account. Thank you, Jesus, that you've prayed for me. Now help me to pray. Help me to bring my weak prayers before the Lord. Um, I'm never going to pray like you, but man, I really am in awe of your prayers. And uh, I think that's actually something that's a very foundational that will help us in our prayer life is when we see Christ as our MVP first, not that we're somehow feeling like we're trying to earn some special status before the Lord. 
And so that brings us into letter C, and that is prayer is the necessary response of a helpless child, fill in helpless child to his good, all-powerful father. Let's look at Luke 11. Luke 11, verses 9 to 12. So we look at our MVP, but then we also consider our helplessness. Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will not, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks, it will be opened. For if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead? <clears throat> so Jesus is encouraging us. This is one of the continuous themes of prayer when Jesus is teaching about prayer, and that is ask. And you ask things of people when you need something, right? If I don't need something, I don't ask for it. I don't, I, I don't normally go to my children and say, hey, uh, Anna, can I have some money to pay the phone bill this, this month? Why don't I ask Anna for money to pay our phone bill? Well, she does. She works at Chick-fil-A now, so she does have some money. But <clears throat> at least right now, praise the Lord, in the position that I'm in, I don't need Anna's money to pay our phone bill. Now, that might happen at some point. But at least right now, I don't ask her for that because I don't need it. And if we don't need things, we don't ask for them. But what Jesus is telling us all throughout the Old Testament is ask. Why is he telling us to ask? Because we need we have great needs. We need to knock. We need to ask. We need to seek. But then beyond that, he also wants us to realize that our father is good and able to provide. So if we come to the Lord in Christ's analogy and we say, Lord, can I have father? Can I have some bread? He doesn't look at us and say, what do you want bread for? Here's a stone. Can I have a fish to eat? What do you need fish for? Here's a snake. The Lord doesn't do that, and Jesus wants us to realize that the disposition of our Father towards us through Christ is that he's a good Father, <clears throat> and he wants to give us good things. He wants us to ask, and then he wants to provide. And so, so prayer is the necessary response of a helpless child. <clears throat> Hallisby, in a book just called Prayer, it's a great book, says prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Your helplessness is your best prayer. I want you to think about that. Your helplessness is your best prayer. One of the things that the Lord has been really working on my heart over the last 12 months is that my helplessness is not a deficit to prayer. My helplessness is an avenue to prayer. When I'm having needs, when I'm feeling worried, when there's things that are chaotic in my life, there's a good chance that God in his sovereign providence is orchestrating that to cause me to cry out in helplessness. And so it's not it's not a roadblock. It's actually an avenue to prayer when I sense my helplessness. The problem is, is a lot of times we don't realize how helpless we are. And even when we're in helpless situations, we're still trying to do it all on our own and just worry and worry and worry. And the Lord's like, ask, ask. I'm not going to give you a stone. I'm going to give you bread. I'm not going to give you a snake. I'm going to give you a fish. <clears throat> he just wants us to recognize our helplessness and ask. So that brings us to letter D, and that is prayer is a key component of our fellowship with God. Re Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now, we often hear this verse spoken of in evangelism that Jesus is kind of knocking on the hearts of unbelievers, asking as a gentleman for permission to come into their lives. Really, this is the context here is people who have already professed faith in Christ. And Jesus is just using an analogy. You know, if a friend comes over to another friend's house and knocks and the, the, the other the, the owner of the home just has to open the door and says, yeah, come in and let's have a meal together. And then they have fellowship. And so Jesus is using this picture of he's a guest that's coming to your house and he's knocking on the door. 
And so come in and he's more than glad to come in and have a relationship with you and to sup with you. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come to me, all you who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a beautiful verse. Those of us that are laboring, we're, we're there. We have this feel this heavy load. Is it a heavy load of things that work or not work or children or health issues or whatever that's going on in our life? We're trying. We've got unsafe family members we're worried about. He says, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Um, and then we see that it is not our prayer which moves the Lord Jesus. It is Jesus who moves us to pray. He knocks, thereby, thereby he makes known his desires uh, to come into us. Our prayers are always a result of Jesus' knocking on our hearts. This is from Hallisby. To pray is nothing more Involved then to lift the eye of prayer unto the Savior who stands and knocks. He knocks through our very need in order to gain access to our distress, sup with us, and glorify his name. Think about that. That's, that's just so beautifully written that <clears throat> Jesus is really the initiator in our prayer if we think about it properly. You know, you, you all of us in this room, I don't know about you, but. I want my day to go well without any distractions or discomfort. I want all of my list to get accomplished. I want everybody to like me. I don't want to have any conflict with anybody throughout a day, right? I want to wake up in the morning. I want to smile. I want people to smile to me. I want to have good food. I want to drive without any distractions. I don't want anybody to cut me off on the freeway. I want to come to church on a Sunday and I want all of you to like me. I want everybody here to agree with everything I say, right? And I want no conflict. But see, what happens in reality is you get up in the morning and your shoulder hurts, right? And things don't always go exactly. Then you're driving, somebody cuts you off on the way. And then you get here and you preach a sermon. And yeah, a lot of people like what you say, but then some people ask these annoying questions like, what did you mean by this? And then you're like, well, why didn't you get that? It was very clear in the message. No. <laughs> no, it's like the Lord <clears throat> brings things into your life, which are now opportunities for prayer, right? <clears throat> this is the Lord Jesus knocking on the door of your heart saying, I'm bringing these things into your life to knock. So now that you'll let me in and we can talk about it <clears throat> and you can cry out to me for help. You know, you can say, <clears throat> Lord, help me with this lesson. And when somebody comes up to ask a question, Lord, help me give them an answer. Help me to be humble in my answer. If I made a mistake, help me to admit my mistakes, um, so on and so forth. You know, as you, you guys all know how this is, parents, as bosses, as employees, every day there's opportunities. Uh, all throughout the day, there's opportunities for us to bring our helplessness to the Lord. Paul Miller says the praying life feels like dinner with good friends. I think that is a big aspect of prayer. It's not the only aspect of prayer, but one of the aspects of prayer is we're just having this conversation with the Lord throughout the day. I feel like I'm still trying to get that. I don't feel like I always get that. Um, I start off my day in prayer and then I kind of will get into my day and then chaos starts happening. And rather than bringing my chaos to the Lord, I start entering into the chaos. And then sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, what happened? Um, I have people in my life, though. My mother-in-law is one of them. I don't know if you guys, anybody guys knows my mother-in-law, Maggie. She's one of the sweet, friendly ladies that greets people at the door. Um, but she's just like having this conversation with the Lord, it seems like, just all day long. She just kind of talks to the Lord, puts up. Like she's got these look, she'll take our, she'll take songs and tape them up on her window. And she's washing dishes, singing praise songs. The lady who led me to Christ, she would just be talk. Sometimes you would think she was like a little crazy. She'd just be walking around the house and start talking to the Lord. And sometimes just even like anger or frustration, she'd be like, Lord, I, these kids are driving me crazy. These kids are driving me crazy, Lord. But she would just be talking to the Lord all day long. And she's just having this conversation with her Lord. And I'm, I'm like, wow, that what an example to me. 
And then lastly, what is prayer? Prayer makes us aware of our participation in God's reign. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you. If we're praying, seeking first the kingdom, if we're really entering into what God's trying to do, then our needs get fit inside of the proper context that is that God's doing something on planet Earth throughout human history, and he cares about us, but we're part of this big plan called the kingdom. So what's crazy is he really does care about my little individual needs, right? Last night when I went to look for some some corn, I, I was really jonesing for some roasted corn. It's like a Peruvian thing. And it's, it's not really easy to find, but I thought to myself, man, if I go down to the Mexican market, they might have some on the way there. I'm thinking, Lord, help me find some and help me. Maybe if I could share the gospel and help me find somebody to share the gospel. So I go in. I was able to share the gospel. It was really cool. We had a great conversation. And I found my Peruvian corn. And I got to go home and, and had some. So it's like, the, does the Lord care whether Mike Berry has Peruvian corn or not? I think he does. I, you know, he didn't give me a snake. He helped me find Peruvian corn. Now, if he decided not to help me find it, that's okay. But the Lord just kind of like that. He loves to do good things for his kids. Praise the Lord. But that fits into this bigger context, right? God is doing something. He's kingdom building, right? He's building his kingdom. <clears throat> and so if I don't find my Peruvian corn... I should be okay with that, right? In the grand scheme of things, um, I got to give somebody a gospel track, and that maybe that's why the Lord sent me to the Mexican market to get Peruvian corn. And so we just so we it helps us see how we fit into the kingdom. All right, so let's spend our last twenty minutes. I keep uh, changing slides, and they don't mean anything. Um, page three. Page three. What are some roadblocks to prayer, and how can they be removed? All right, so the last 20, sec 20 minutes, we're going to talk about these roadblocks. The solution to most of these roadblocks is to see that they are really avenues. They are reminders to look to your MVP, humble yourself, confess your sin in need. What does MVP mean again? Most valuable prayer. Okay, so as we look at these roadblocks, <clears throat> what I don't want you to see to do is like, Oh, that's a roadblock to prayer. I need to work really, okay. I need to really work as hard as I can by the sweat of my brow to get through that roadblock. No, these roadblocks are really, if we understand them properly, they're avenues to remind us of our need to cry out to the Lord. Right? So let's look at the first roadblock. Lack of spiritual life. This is the biggest roadblock. Um, but... I love what J.C. Ryle says here in his book, A Call to Prayer. Have you forgotten that it is not natural to anyone to pray? So the fill-in is natural. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The desire of man's heart is to get far away from God and have nothing to do with him. His feeling towards him is not love, but fear. Why then should a man pray when he has no real sense of sin, no real feeling of spiritual wants, um, no thorough belief in unseen things, no desire after holiness and heaven. So if you're trying to get, you know, you're trying to disciple your kids or you're trying to disciple somebody and you're trying to get them to pray, and yet they're not really sensing any spiritual need yet, the lights just aren't on yet, and you're, yet you're trying to get them to pray, um, it's an act in futility. Um, we can get them to go through the motions of prayer, and we should teach our children to pray, even if they don't quite get it yet. But <clears throat> what really needs to happen is the lights need to come on, right? Um, and this can even happen in a Christian sense. We can be born again, and yet we'll talk about some of these roadblocks later. Cataracts can come over our eyes. All of a sudden, we're not wanting to pray because we've got some things blocking blocking our view and it's and by the way it's just not it's not natural it's something that we do need the holy spirit to drive us to himself paul miller says this 
our natural desire to pray comes from creation, there is a sense in which there is some aspect of it from creation. We are made in the image of God, but our inability to pray comes from the fall. Evil has marred the image. We want to talk to God, but can't. The friction of our desire to pray, combined with our badly damaged prayer antenna, leads to constant frustration. It is as if we've had a stroke. That's an amazing image. I think even unbelievers sometimes sense this idea that there's somebody that they should be trying to reach out to, but they don't know who it is. And Mitsuo Fuchida, the Japanese pilot that led the attack on Pearl Harbor during World War II. You guys know my favorite gospel track, right? Anybody get these? Okay, my favorite gospel track. So Mitsuo Fuchida... He, before he became a Christian, he's planting tomatoes. Tomatoes are coming up. He's like, there has got to be a God. Who could cause tomatoes to come out of the ground like this? But he has no idea who this God is or how to talk to him. He's made in God's image, but his prayer antenna have been damaged. <clears throat> but even we as Christians, you know, we're now, we're in the image. The image is being restored as we're filled with Christ. But we still have this remaining sin. And sometimes the remaining sin causes the signals to kind of we're still kind of having trouble at times and so sometimes it does feel like we've had a stroke we're trying to talk i don't know if you've ever just this last week i'm driving to work and i'm listening to my prayer requests on my phone but i'm just like i have no energy to open my mouth like i don't even i don't know if you guys ever feel that way i'm like i can't even talk right now i'm just too tired and so I'm just praying that the Lord will just listen to my prayers as it's being uttered through my iPhone. Right, Lord, please. Yeah. For Is this for the roadblock? Okay, so, oh, which desire? So, oh, okay, natural. Yeah, so oh, in that second paragraph there. Yeah, they're both natural. Yeah, sorry. I know. No, no, I got there. I didn't tell you guys. So, yeah, so both of them are natural. Our natural desire to pray comes from creation. And the first one is, have you forgotten that it is not natural? So, and they're using, so it's not natural for us to pray, but being made in the image of God, there is a sense in which it should feel natural, but our prayer intent has been damaged, and it's almost like we've had a stroke. And so, I don't know, that image kind of works for me, why sometimes it's hard. But again, what is this roadblock but an avenue? What's the solution? The solution is, Lord, I just don't have any energy right now. I, I want to pray, but I can't. Help me. Guess what? The Lord loves prayers like that. His heart just wells up. And I've noticed in my own life, when you ask the Lord for fish like that, he wants to give it. When we're like, Lord, I am struggling right now. I don't even have the ability to pray right now. He just loves to answer those kind of prayers. And, um, and so bring that to him. A second roadblock is silence. Is that, a, is that an underline for you guys? So number two, letter B, silence. God does not answer non-prayers. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread? We've talked about that, so on and so forth. Verse 11, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask? So ask the Lord. We've been talking about this a lot as elders lately. It's like, how many things does the Lord want to give us, but we just don't ask for it? Is he good? Yes. Does he care about his children? Yes. Ask him. And uh, I'm just noticing uh, again and afresh that the Lord wants us to ask him for just whatever we want to ask him for. Um, we'll talk more about later about we can ask selfishly and so on and so forth. But, you know, the big things in life that you and I care about, right? Man, I just pray that 
that you would give my children a heart for you. Does God want to hear prayers like that? I think so. He does. Now, we're in the middle of the movie, right? We're in the middle of the story. We don't always know how it's going to wrap up. You ever watch a movie? You're, you've, you've gotten about 45 minutes into it. All of a sudden, another family member walks in, starts asking questions. You're like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, this is what happened. Or you're in the middle of the movie, and you're really tense. You haven't seen it before, um, and so you don't know that it's going to end good, but you're in the middle, and you're like, ah, this is crazy. And so we don't always know how these things are going to end up, but the Lord wants us to ask anyway. Ask. And I've, I've just been amazed how the Lord loves to a- answer quest- requests, even for like seemingly insignificant things. Like uh, Anna left her purse somewhere. We, couldn't, we didn't know where she left it, and we stopped and prayed, and then we found it. My son Josh left his wallet at the Getty Museum. Um, Anyway, there were things that he had in his wallet that I was befuddled that he didn't have in a safe place. He was just carrying it around in his wallet. And so I prayed, when he told me this, I prayed, Lord, help me to keep my mouth shut and to be very kind and patient with my son right now. And so I just said, okay, Josh, let's pray that God will help you find your wallet. And I didn't say anything, at least, oh, you know, in an irritating way, irritated way about the cash in the wallet. And so we prayed, and then he, uh, the Getty was already closed, but they called him back the next morning. Turns out that they had it, security. And one of his professors, she loves the Getty Museum, volunteered to drive him all the way back and all the way from home. And so he got this one-on-one time with one of his professors, just in the car and there and back. And she's this really godly gal. And, and when he got home and he called me and, and we were so excited, we were rejoicing at care group. And he's like, man, my professor, she's kind of like a mix between Juanita Fike and Grandma Maggie. And so he got all this special discipleship time, you know, for about two and a half hours uh, because he left his wallet behind at the Getty Museum. And so it was just like, thank you, Lord you know, that you care about little things like that. Now, it could be that his wallet would have got stolen and all the money's gone, and the Lord could have done something that way too. Um, But the Lord, I've noticed that the Lord just loves answering those kind of prayers. Let me give one other illustration, and then we'll have to move on. Uh, So this is on just the subject of silence. If we just ask, the Lord loves to answer our prayers. I can remember there was a situation where... Katie or our family came home and my daughter wanted to talk to me about something. Katie knew that this request or whatever it was that was Anna was going to talk to me about might hit some of my buttons where I would go into preacher mic mode. And she's like, Katie gave me advance warning and said, just listen and just chill. And then, you know, then we can figure out what to do. I don't even remember what the issue was, but Anna came in and asked me about whatever it is she wanted to ask me, and I didn't listen to my wife. I just went into preacher mic mode. Boom! And I was like, here's why we can't do that, and here's why that's not going to work, blah, 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 blah. And then I could just see Anna's face drop, and then, you know, she went into the back room, and I'm sitting there in my chair, and I'm like, good job, Dad. Way to go. It's like, I've blown the evening. This was supposed to be an evening that we were all going to hang out as a family and have a good time together. Now dad's just ruined the evening. So what I would do in the past normally is is I would just kind of just stay in my pride, not say anything. And then the rest of the evening, everybody would walk around on eggshells and then we'd all go to bed at night, right? So that's what I, that's kind of like Mike Berry mode at his, not his best. So, I'm thinking about this, you know, prayer. I've been reading on prayer. And so I just sit in my chair and I'm like, Lord, help me humble myself. I need to eat some crow. I need to apologize to my daughter. This request, yeah, we might have some different viewpoints, but this wasn't a terrible thing to ask for. Lord, help me. And I, I literally sat there. It was a spiritual warfare for about 25 minutes where I was just crying out to the Lord to help me humble myself, all I had to do was just call Anna over and just say, 
I'm sorry. <clears throat> but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. <clears throat> and so I, but what I did do, and I'm thankful for this, is I kept praying. And the Lord gave me the wherewithal to keep praying, keep asking the Lord. Do you think the Lord wants to answer prayers for humility? He does. That's a prayer that if you're asking the Lord to humble you, the Lord loves answering a prayer just like that. And so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, Lord. Uh, and, you know, Anna comes out. You can still feel everything's cold. I'm going to try to say this without crying. So, so then all of a sudden, just this, this idea came to me that if I can just get the words out, we can have a great evening together and we can be watching some dumb thing on TV here in a few minutes and having fun, right? If I can just humble myself. And so finally I, did, I was able to call her over. Sorry. And, uh, you know, just take her by the hand. And just apologize. <coughs> and, um, and just, you know, say, I'm, I'm sorry. And <coughs> tell her, you know, tell her what I <coughs> really meant to say rather than what came out of my mouth and so on and so forth. And so she forgave me right away. And you know how it is. It's not like everybody falls over backwards just because you humble yourself a little bit. So it took her a while to warm up, but she forgave me. But it, literally, probably no more than 10, 15 minutes later, we're watching some funny stuff on YouTube that we like to watch, some nonsense. And it was like the Lord just like, you know, the, it's lighter. Nobody's walking on eggshells anymore. The elephant in the room's been discussed. I was able to humble myself. I was forgiven. And we just had a great evening that the Lord blessed us with. That just, that kind of stuff doesn't, that's not always the way I've rolled, unfortunately. Uh, kind of my default in the past has been, I blew it. Not much I can do about it now. It is what it is. I can't take those words back. And then I'm not even thinking about crying out to the Lord for help to humble myself. I'm just kind of letting the evening devolve. And then we all just kind of go to bed, kind of upset at each other. And then you wake up the next morning and maybe you say, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Right. Um, instead of like, wow, we can we can deal with this right now by the grace of the Lord. So silence. So what so the, the big idea here is. Instead of sitting in silence, I just asked the Lord to help me. That's all I did. I just asked the Lord to help me. And I just, I, but I had to ask him for 25 minutes to help me. So that's the thing I'm very thankful for is I didn't give up after the five minutes. That's his grace. That's not me. But by his grace, I was able to keep crying out. And then I took a tiny step of faith. And as soon as I took that little step of faith, the Lord just blew up all over me and, and, and blessed this conversation with my daughter. I think those are the kind of things that the Lord wants to do in all of our lives every day. You and I, if and maybe it's just me, but I think I know the human condition well enough to think it's you too. You and I have opportunities to do stuff like that every day. Because every day there's some kind of little offense that you take or somebody else takes or something happens and something you don't like or you, something comes out of your mouth. You probably shouldn't have said it that way. But every day we can, like as Dave Contreras says, we can pull weeds all day long. Right? We don't have to wait till the end of the night. We don't have to wait till next week. We can just be like, up, oh, weed pops up. Ah, Lord, I said, oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me. Would you please, I didn't mean to say it that way. Are we good? Or, you know, whatever. Pull those weeds. And the Lord wants to answer prayers like that. And we can we can teach one another to do it. Let's talk about, uh, let me see. I'm not sure if we're going to have time for that. You want to talk about guilt? Now, let's, let's leave it right there. So what we're going to do with this is... I'm actually going to do one extra lesson on this topic. And so keep this packet because we're going to come back to it. Um, this is the fifth, right? Dan's on the 12th next week. 
And then when we come back on the 19th, I'm going to do this part two. Um, and so we'll, we'll complete this material on the 19th. Next week, you really want to come back because it's on the adoption. It's on the adoption, sonship, stuff like that. One of my favorite doctrines in the whole world. Dan's locked and loaded. It's going to be a really good lesson. So make sure you come back for that. Uh, any questions on what we've talked about so far on prayer? Questions or comments? I think this is such a huge, helpful topic. Yeah. Yes. There's a there's a an idea that that God will withhold his will or his blessing for us until we pray for it. Okay, yeah. So could you sort of kind of clarify that? Yeah, so the question is more kinda of like how do we discern the difference between praying for God's will and trying to influence his will versus um his will being done. Is that kind of it? Yeah, I, I it's you mentioned something about he doesn't answer his own prayers. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so the idea that he doesn't answer non-prayers, he's, he's, if we're just sitting in silence, he says, you have not because you ask not. Yeah, so the, f- the kind of bigger idea inside of that is, is it's a mystery uh, because we're talking to a being who is God. He is personal, right? But he's not like me or you. And so if you ask me for something and I ask you for something, that's only on a human level. When we're asking God for things, we're talking about a being who has always existed. There's never a time where he didn't exist. There's never a time where he didn't even know that where he he didn't have consciousness that you were going to ask that prayer. And so when we look at the doctrine of prayer, we do have to kind of step back and keep this big thing in mind that God is not a man. He's different from us, and yet he's personal, and so he's like us because he's made us in his image. So when God, when Jesus tells us, you have not because you ask not, on one level, we just have to stay right where he, right in that text, and, and, and just as little children say, well, okay, just like a child will not get something unless he asks his father, if, he, if, if the father has no idea the child has the need, the child comes and asks for it, the father may be very willing to give it. So Jesus wants us to stay there on that idea. Ask your father, and he loves to give you things. Um, on the other hand, we don't always know how that works in God's sovereignty. Because we know in the big, big sovereign scheme of things, just like it's Jesus is the one that's knocking on the door, He's the one that brings needs into our life that gets us to ask in the first place, right? So sometimes I'm asking for something because Jesus brought a need in my life to get me to ask for it. And now he's like, yes, I'm going to give that to you. And so it kind of goes back to that age old mystery that we always have to keep in tension between God's what, what, what I call divine compatibilism. Is God in absolute control of everything? Yes. Are human beings completely responsible for their actions? And will they be held accountable for those actions? Yes. How do you coalesce those two? Can those two be understood in the human mind? No. Is the Bible completely comfortable with these two parallel ideas that we don't understand? Yes. The Bible will put those two ideas side by side all throughout Scripture and never even bother to give us an explanation. You know, it's kind of it's just weird. And you see it all over the Old Testament. Um, you know, you have the example of uh, Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, says, thus says the Lord, 15 years, get, or no, not 15, you're, get your stuff in order, you're going to die. You're dead. And there's no, at that point, there's no sense that he's being punished. 
It's just the Lord sent the prophet to tell him, your time has come. Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, rolls over in his bed, starts weeping. The Lord stops Isaiah and says, uh, turn around, go back and tell him uh, 15 more years. So he goes back and tells him, you've got 15 more years. You're like, well, which was it? What was God's sovereign? And so when we step back from that situation, what we realize in the end is that God really wanted Isaiah to cry out. Isaiah, I mean, Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and then God sends the prophet back and gives him 15 more years of life because he cried out. Um, who can comprehend a God like this? I can't. But what, I, what I've noticed, especially as I've been going through the Old Testament, is there's many times there's this motif of God announces something that sounds very final. But really what he's doing is he's wanting to see how the people of God are going to react. And then when they react a certain way, his, uh, his course moves. And we know that in the end, that was his sovereign decision anyway. But he is very much involved in time and space, the time and space continuum. Uh, that's the best I can do. It's, it's kind of a, some people try to, the way they try to explain God's response to human will, they, they almost always try to compromise one or the other, make God not really sovereign or make human beings, you know, not really responsible for their actions. And the Bible just never does that. So we, I think we always have to allow for that tension. But one of the things I've noticed, I've been trying to think about this in my own life lately, is God reveals himself as a God who's willing to relent. The, the doctrine of relenting is all over the Bible. What does relent mean? It means like when people cry out to him, he changes his course. We have to be careful how we understand that, but it's very clear that God will change something that's been announced by a prophet when people cry out, he relents and moves a different direction from the human viewpoint. From his viewpoint, we know that he's got it all together. Um, can I, I, I know I'm over. Can I give you one other example of that? So you guys know, uh, uh, so one of my favorite ones is Manasseh, Second Chronicles, is it 30 or 33? Do you guys know Manasseh? This is one of the most evil kings. Everybody gets compared to Manasseh as this guy's evil. And the Lord sends a prophet to him and, and basically warns him in Israel and says, I'm going to take you guys out. They don't listen the first time. So God brings down, uh, it's one of the Assyrian captivities. Manasseh actually gets a hook put through his nose We've actually got cave drawings and, and stone drawings of this type of activity where the Assyrians would take uh, kings, put a hook through their nose, brought them up to Babylon, to Nineveh. He's in Nineveh in punishment for his wicked sins like witchcraft, burning his own children, sorcery, all kinds of crazy stuff. He cries out to the Lord up in Nineveh. What does the Lord do? I know what I'd do. Forget it, buddy. You're out. You're burning children. You're doing participating in demonic worship. Too late. You should have listened back then. The Lord relents, listens to him, brings him back into his kingdom. He goes iconoclastic, starts destroying all of the idols of Baal. And there's this huge revival at the end of Manasseh's life um, that we hardly we don't really hear a whole lot about. Because his life was so wicked for so many years. He reigned for 55 years. Um, and so it's like the Lord relented because this evil king just cried out. And then what is it, Jehoshaphat? Like when he gets involved in that weird collaboration with Ahab. And there he is dressed in kingly garb when Ahab's kind of in his spy gear. Jehoshaphat's out in the middle. Everybody's focusing their attacks on him. The Syrians are like, go after the king, kill him. All of a sudden, Jehoshaphat's like, I put myself here. What am I doing out in the middle of the field aligned with Ahab? I'm kind of reading in. But then what does it say? He cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard him, diverted the armies around of Jehoshaphat. The, Je Jehoshaphat was in a situation that the prophets had clearly told him he should not be in. 
And yet when he cries out to the Lord, the Lord hears him, diverts the armies. Then somebody takes a random arrow, shoots it. It flies over and hits Ahab between the armor and Ahab dies, not Jehoshaphat. How, how does this kind of stuff happen, right? What kind of God is this that will listen to the cries of Jehoshaphat when he put himself in the hot water? And... Um, and then at the same time, fulfill prophecy and take an Ahab out who's hiding in his sin. I don't know. It's just it's just befuddling. That's a long answer to a short question. That's a really good question. So but yeah, so keep asking, keep asking. And um, and then and then we can also just pray, Lord, show me what to ask for. Sometimes we're not asking for things because our eyes were kind of dealing with cataracts. We're not sure what we should ask for, but the Lord can start knocking on our heart and say, hey, ask for this. I want to come in. Let's have some dinner. Why don't you just ask for us to have fellowship? Okay, Lord, I need, let's have fellowship. All right, let's pray. And then anybody wants to come up, you have other questions, it'd be great. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time for us to be together and to fellowship with you. Thank you for the the wonderful avenue that we have that we can bring our helplessness to you every day, not just every day, but every moment. And so help us, Lord, as as you are knocking on our hearts all day long and actually bringing in needs and um, thorns, conflicts, challenges. Lord, help us by your grace to turn those into prayers, not to see it as roadblocks, but avenues to cry out to you all day long. Every day we struggle with our own sin. We struggle with judgmentalism. We struggle with pride. We struggle with so many things, but we can bring all of those to you every day. And you're a good father. You love to hear our prayers. We know that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so may we cry out daily for humility. And we love the fact we just uh, we just just exalt in the fact that we have Jesus as our most valuable valuable prayer, that his righteousness has been credited to our account. So we're not earning our status before you, but we're really coming before you within the beloved. So thank you for the love that you have for us in Christ's name. Amen.